Hey, I'm Alan Hunter. You're listening on the Pantheon Network. The Starbucks Pistachio Latte will transport you to your happy place. The comforting flavor of pistachio, warm espresso and milk, all with a brown buttery topping. Make today a good day. Order ahead on the Starbucks app. Maryland sports fans, there's only one sports book in the great state of Maryland with over 50 years experience booking bets and supporting customers. Betfred Sportsbook at Long Shots is now open and is the only sports book in Frederick offering cash betting on football, basketball, world soccer, and more. Visit the Betfred Sportsbook at I-270 and MD-85 in Frederick, right next to Longshot's Off-Track Betting. Go to BetfredSports.com for more information and your chance to win exclusive merchandise. Must be 21 or older. Play responsibly. For help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Progressive is America's number one motorcycle insurer, so we understand motorcycles. No, really, we have a bike translator. Uh, okay, this is awkward, but this bike says he'd appreciate it if you removed his skull pattern saddlebags. <laughs> he feels self-conscious about them around all the other bikes, and he says you're not fooling anyone. You mostly ride with your golfing buddies. <laughs> Listen, I'm just the messenger here. Oh, no, I don't want to say that. I think you made yourself clear. Quote with Progressive and see if you could save with America's number one motorcycle insurer. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. This is the Decibel Geek Podcast with Chris Sinzak and Aaron Camaro. When you're looking for a podcast that just roars hard rock and heavy metal, there is no better than the Decibel Geek Podcast. My name is Aaron Camaro, and I'm joined always by my main man right here, Chris Sinzak. Chris Sinzak, are you ready to roar today? Well, I'm certainly done watching football today, so yeah, let's talk White Lion. <laughs> he was roaring at his TV just 10 minutes ago, right. and now here we are. But no, this is exciting, um, the, the, and this is one of those where we were strong-armed, strong-armed into doing an episode, but we were kind of happy to do it anyway. But uh, Chad Hill, this one's for you. You keep bugging us 500, almost 500 episodes, and you guys still haven't done a White Lion episode. Well, that changes today. Yeah, and I said, well, I mean, I interviewed Mike Tramp one time, like That's within right. the first 100 episodes. But this guy, man, he was, he pressured us. He, he really was upset that we hadn't given White Lion their due. Yeah. And we said, well, geez, this guy's pestering the hell out of us. You know, what do, what do we do? What do we do? You know, it's like, you know what? Well, he's right. Let's just do it. You know, so yeah. that's what we did. White Lion basically consists of four main studio albums. I always said I was going to give them their due. I always said I was going to do the deep dive, and this forced me to do it. And so this last week, I've been listening to nothing but White Lion. And Chris, I know you're a fan of White Lion, and I know you've done the deep dive on them leading up to this Mm -hmm. too. We're going to share our thoughts. We're going to share our feelings. (laughs) And we're going to share the best and the worst of White Lion with you right here today on the Decibel Geek Podcast. Roar! (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, this one's for you, Chad Hill. (laughs) (laughs) This goes to show persistence pays off sometimes. Uh, Yeah, but now we're going to get an influx of people harassing us to cover certain bands. I demand you do this. And the best and worst episodes are always easy and fun to do, and and you guys seem to react to them, so it, it's fine. Um, but yeah, I loved White Lion back in the day. I'm kind of excited to do this. By the time we're done here, Chad might be like, 
I wish I had never told those guys to do that. <laughs> yeah, this might absolutely suck, and he might be like, "I wish, yeah, I wish you had never done it." Totally, yeah, we'll see. Totally backfires on him. We'll see how it goes. All right, all right, before we get to all that, you know us. We're gonna take the time. We're gonna take the business, and we're gonna take care of it. Right now, we've got a couple of reviews. Can you believe that? A couple of reviews. It's been a minute, but we're always happy when we get them. Because it helps us in the ratings, it helps us in the stars, it helps us find new people to come be introduced to what we're doing here on Decibel Geek. And, you know, a review is the perfect way. I bet nine out of ten listeners of this show probably got turned on to it from a review that they read. Could be like this one. It's a pod chaser review. It's got all five of those pink stars, and it goes a little something like this. Fantastic podcast. Chris and Aaron have phenomenal chemistry, and their knowledge of all things rock and metal is truly impressive. I love how they do different subjects for episodes, whether it's a Fresh Blood episode, where they're showcasing newer bands and artists, or if it's an album's Unleashed, where they review a classic album with a special guest that was involved in the creation of that particular album. And their great interviews with an assortment of KISS-related guests for their Kissmas in July episodes. If you are a hard rock and heavy metal enthusiast, then this is the show for you. Check them out and tell them that DJ Metal sent you. Perfect example of what I'm saying right there. Somebody reads that and they're a hard rocker and they're into this kind of music and they see the man right there wrote this review and it's got all the stars and they read that and they go, you know what? I'm going to check out this Decibel Geek podcast. And then they're going to go, holy shit, this podcast has been around for like 10 years. That's right. And yeah, that's DJ Metal Mike from that metal station and also the co-host of The Plug with him and Bushy. Yeah, I love Metal Mike. Awesome dude. Great friend of the show. Been over to the house when we lived in Laverne, yeah. you know, for Rockin' Pod. Came over and hung out with us. Awesome dude, man. We appreciate that review because it's perfect. That's exactly what somebody needs to see to understand what we're doing here and he put it perfectly and i have no doubt that somebody's going to see that and give us a chance and then we got another one from another good friend this one is a recommendation on the facebook and it comes to us from the freeform rock podcast our dudes they recommend the decibel geek podcast by saying this is a monster of all podcasts. One that makes me strive to be, strive to be to make, the one that makes me strive to make my podcast better. Alas, where, alas, fuck it, where's the whiskey, ha <laughs> If you don't listen to this podcast, well, start. Uh, I think, I think our buddy Mark Alden Taylor um, had a little bit of whiskey before he wrote that review. Maybe. That was kind of a tough one to read. Maybe he was snorting <laughs> it again. <laughs> he, he said he will snort it on site at Rockin' Pod next year. So that that's a reason to come alone, right? Maybe we should do that. Like at a certain time, we just get him in the middle of the room, gather everybody <laughs> around. Everybody starts cheering for him. He snorts it. Everybody laughs, has a good time, goes back to what they're doing. Make it an yeah. event. Yeah, then then everyone will know we're a legit convention. <laughs> if that don't prove it, I don't know what will. <laughs> it, it, it's like, you know, Nam was cool, but nobody snorted whiskey. Yeah. Out of it. 
I mean, I've been to some cool conventions, but I ain't never seen no shit like that. <laughs> Comic Con ain't got nothing on us. <laughs> oh man, too funny. But, but thank you, Mark. <laughs> thank you guys for those awesome reviews. Kick ass. We love them. Keep them coming. If you have not left us a review yet, clearly you see how much it means to us and how much it pleases us greatly when we get to read them on the show. Leave us a five-star review, be it on Podchaser, a Facebook recommendation, or Apple Podcasts. We like them all. And if they're five stars, we're going to read them right here on the show. You know it's true because we do it every single week. Well, I'd say we had a great episode last week, but it's kind of been in flux a little bit. I mean, the last thing we did other than New Noise was our Where You Come From France with our awesome friend, Victor Ruiz, who continues on in podcasting with The Signals from Mars Podcast. Make sure to check him out, give him a like, give him some love, tell him we sent you. We had a lot of fun with that, man. There's bands from France that actually kick ass. Yeah, it's not just where the naked ladies dance. That's right. That's what I thought it was. That's what I thought, too. And we found out not only do the naked ladies dance there, but the rock and rollers kick a lot of ass, too. Hope we were able to turn you guys onto a bunch of new French bands that you may not have known about before. You know, support those bands. Like them on Facebook. Follow them. And if they ever come to the States, you go see them, and you'll know who they are. The bands or the naked ladies? Either one. Oh, okay. Either one. You tell them all the Decibel Geek podcast sent you. <laughs> when we do these episodes, we always make the announcement on Facebook and on Twitter with the original post that says, hey, new Decibel Geek episode, this is what it is, here it is for you to listen to. And you can actually take that and share it and retweet it. And the cool thing about that is when you do take those original episode postings and you share and retweet them, we get a list of all the people who have done that. And we love and appreciate those people so much for helping us spread the word that we take that list and we honor those folks by naming them our Geeks of the Week. Geeks of the Week this week are Adam Cox, Rockin' Ron Runyon, Darren Parkin, Mark Starsky, John Phillips, Brent Tibbetts, David Glenn, Brennan Barrier, Craig Turdich, Missy Rachel Shava, Shay Hargett, Mike Parnell, Keith Rockford, Warren Edward LaRue Baker, Mott Brian Knapp, Pantheon Podcast, Jeffrey Mendenhall, Kristen Schimbeck, Sit and Spin with Joe, Aaron Baker, Mark Alden-Taylor, Freeform Rock Podcast, Mark and Jerry BS Sessions, Jay Shablewski, Grayson Gallegos, Eladio, Kevin's on Fire, Tom Smoke, Belmondo, Ernesto Aguiar, Doug Fox, Vet Halen, David Cathy, Will Honeycutt, Joseph Capone, Victor Ruiz, Scott Crouch, and as always, the, the Mooger Fooger. That's right. Those are our people. Why? because they take the time to share and retweet what we're doing here on the Decibel Geek Podcast. Like I said, it's so simple. Find that original post on Facebook or the tweet on Twitter. Share it, retweet it. You'll hear your name right here next week when we list the Geeks of the Week for the cool people that shared our episode. We are a proud part of Pantheon Podcast. Pantheon is the place, man. They've taken all the best music podcasts in the entire world, gathered them all in one place, so that way when you're looking for something new to check out, you want to find a cool Kiss podcast, you go, well, what's Pantheon got? They got the Shout It Out Loud cast. You know, they got everything you want. Our friends Cobras and Fire are there. Our friend BJ, the awesome cheap trick author, Kahuna, has got his show back on there, Rock and or Roll. Just a fine example of just a few of the great shows that are on there. If you're looking for something new you want to check out, why waste your time looking around? You can just go straight to the source. That's Pantheon Podcasts. 
and peruse their list of talent. They've got all kinds of good stuff and new ones all the time. So give Pantheon a shout. Tell them thank you for bringing us the Decibel Geek podcast every single week for free because that's what they do. And we're happy for that. So is that all the business? I think that's all the business. I think that's all the business. So like I said, you know, our history with White Lion goes way, way back to the very, very beginning when Chris says, hey, Aaron, we got a chance we could interview Mike Tramp. <laughs> well, what do you think of White Lion? And I was like, eh, it's never really into White Lion. Don't know a whole lot about them. You know, always thought, you know, that's, that's for the ladies. You know, that's kind of the, what the chicks are into and probably not for me. Only heard the songs that were the most popular. Wasn't really into it. And I said, but you know what? I mean, you could probably carry us through an interview with Mike Tramp. Let's do it. You're never going to let me live this one down, are you? (laughs) (laughs) Just going back through a little history of the show here is all. (laughs) So the day comes of the interview, and I'm getting ready to go. I got my little mobile recorder with me and everything. And Chris calls and goes, I'm not going to make it. You're going to have to do it yourself. <laughs> I still I don't even remember what came up, but something came up. I don't I remember either. It. That was yeah. so long ago. But then I was like, well, son of a gun, what am I going to do? You know, I can't like study up on White Lion now. It's a little too late. I'm already driving to the venue. So I get there. I meet Mike Tramp. We just kind of shoot the breeze. And I got the recorder rolling. If you want to hear how that turned out, you can scroll way, way back to the very beginning of the Decibel Geek podcast. But what I found that day was Mike Tramp's a super cool dude. And he was easy to talk to. I think the interview turned out really good, which, you know, interviews with us really are just, you know, conversations that happen to have a recorder sitting right there. And so that's what I remember that turning out to be. And it was probably nothing groundbreaking. And it probably wasn't nothing, you know, that blew his mind or anything. But like, wow, this guy's such a big fan of mine. <laughs> we just kind of shot the shit and recorded it. And like I said, I came away from it going, you know, that dude's a good guy. You know, maybe I ought to give White Lion a try. So then over the years, little by little, I would find their CDs here and there. And there was really only four of them. When you're talking about like the main era of the classic White Lion so then I had them all, maybe listened to them once or twice, never really gave them the true deep dive that I felt like they deserved. And then this came up, and I said, you know what, I'm going to do it. So I've had those CDs with me. I've been listening to White Lion nonstop all week long, building up for this. I've got thoughts on all the albums, all the songs. Mm-hmm. Were you a big White Lion fan back in the day? Yeah, actually, I was. And and to go back to the interview thing, trust me, I did not want to have to cancel on that interview because I was excited to, to talk to, to Mike Tramp because I loved White Lion back in the in the 80s. Um, well, that interview would have been a lot better if you'd have been there. Well, I was going to give you props. I mean, I, I think you did a great job on it. And it was it was a good conversation with him. And also. It also tipped me off to his solo material, which actually is really, really good stuff. It's not at all like White Lion, but um, but it's really good music and it's good good songwriting. So um, definitely check out Mike Tramp's uh, solo output because there's some good stuff there. He was in a band called After White Lion. He was in a band called Freak of Nature that was yes. pretty kick ass and like a little heavier, even mm-hmm. darker than White Lion. Yeah, yeah. Which I didn't remember them till way after the fact, but. Um, but I did like some of that stuff. Uh, but no, with White Lion, I remember the first time I saw a video of theirs was when the, the single for Wait came out and the video came on MTV. 
And I, I remember thinking, I have to be a hundred percent honest here though. I do remember thinking this is looks or like aesthetic over substance as far as the video went. Cause it, it they were focusing so big in on Mike tramp and his tight leather pants and all this stuff. Yeah. And the, the video is black and white. And I remember it, but I, re, but I, at the same time, by the time it gets to the guitar solo, I'm like, Holy shit, who the fuck is this guitar player? Um, that was my earliest memory of them. And then of course, when the we'll, which we'll get to pride, but when when the when the children cry comes out is a huge massive hit. Yeah, it's everywhere. Um, but no, I I followed from that point on. I, I I bought Pride the year it was released. I remember that. Then I bought Big Game, and I also I did buy Main Attraction not on release day, but I bought it around the time of the release. Um, but I didn't go back to Fight to Survive from '85 until way later. But no, I, I loved them, and I always thought Vito, Vito Brada is going to, let's go ahead and just forewarn people, Vito Brada is going to get a lot of praise on this show. Uh, yeah. Because the guy is one of the greatest guitar players I've ever heard in my life, and you know Michael Wagner always, whenever we would talk to Michael, he would say Vito kind of had a special place in his ranking of everyone he's worked with. And when you listen to these songs, you see why. Oh, for sure. You know, and... Like I said, not being a big White Lion fan back in the day, always thought, you know, all the girls love this so much. That's another Bon Jovi. That's another winger, you know. That's not for me. That's for the ladies, you know. Yeah. Going back and listening to this stuff, man, there's some damn good songs throughout this. And, yeah, if we broke it down and talked about every single song, you might as well just start out by saying every guitar solo in every (laughs) one of these songs is outstanding. Yeah. Because even if the song ain't that great, like some of these songs I would rate like a D, mm-hmm. but the guitar solo pulls it up to a C. That's 100% true. And I, and I will say in hindsight, going back, cause I, I haven't really gone back and revisited the catalog of theirs in a long time. So going back and listening to it, I'm like, man, there's some of this stuff that when I was 12, I thought it was amazing. And now I'm like, mm, not so much now, which we'll get into that. Okay. All right. Well, I guess we start at the very beginning with Fight to Survive. I never heard this until a couple of years ago. Me neither. So this was pretty much new to me when I listened to it. You got some information about the album? Yeah. So this one, uh, it, it was released. It's, it's a weird story with how it got released. So it got released in November of 85 in Japan, but it didn't come out in America until June of 86, and there's a reason for that. So... They were signed to Elektra Records, but then Elektra promptly shelved the album and didn't intend on releasing it in the U.S. But then Philadelphia-based Grand Slam Records bought the album from Elektra and then released it in 86. And uh, Mike Tramp noted that once White Lion was dropped by Elektra, their manager managed to get the rights to license the album and release it in Japan. So this actually broke in Europe before it did in the USA, mostly because of magazine coverage, because... You know, you you hear a lot about new bands from podcasts and stuff like that now, but back then it was magazines that really would, they would break new bands because MTV was mostly not breaking new bands. It was established artists. So um, it's a different story with this one. So it came out in 85 in Japan, then came out in the USA. I have no memory of this coming out at the time. So it didn't get, it got like zero promotional push. And it was produced by a guy named Peter Hoke which I've never heard of this guy at all, and maybe there's a reason for that. And it doesn't feature the uh, classic era 
of White Lion as no. we would come to know them, starting with the next album. This first album, the bass player is actually a guy who had been in the band Angel in the 70s. Yes, Felix Robinson. Yeah. And he's got a pretty yeah. good influence on this album. This album is way different than the other three. I don't understand why Elektra wouldn't have wanted to release this in 85 because it's the heaviest of the three albums. If you put them all on a scale and weighed them as heaviness, this one's definitely the heaviest out of the four. I think this could have went over in 85. I don't know why they didn't. There's songs on here that are super poppy, catchy. There's songs on here that are, you know, bordering heavy metal. I mean, it's it's got a little bit of everything. And I think that the biggest surprise out of this whole experiment to taking the deep dive on White Lion is, to me, how damn good this first album really is. Mm -hmm. I like this one a lot. Yeah, well, in the craziest part of this album to me is when I was reading up about it was that the way these albums, especially back in those days, were made was you would do a guide track with the guitar to get the bass and drums down, locked in. So Vito does the guitar as a guide track to get the bass and drum parts filled in, and then they did overdubs on bass and drums, but then they ran out of studio time. So what you're hearing on this record is Vito's guide tracks. These aren't even like what he was wanting to have as finished takes. Wow. So which makes it even more remarkable yeah. because like this, this was just what he laid down just to help those guys out. So it's, it's kind of crazy that you're not even hearing anything overdubbed or anything with Vito's guitar. It's all just raw tracks. Yeah. Some of the standout tracks on here for me, I think the first one, Broken Heart, is a good mm -hmm. song. It's got really strong vocals from Mike Tramp. He sings differently on this album than he does any of the other ones. He seems like he strains for it a little bit more. Mm -hmm. I don't know if he learns how to become a better singer later on or if he just finds that his place is better a little bit lighter than this. But on this mm -hmm. album, he's really pushing and sometimes struggling and fighting to hit some of these notes in here and and push the power into into his vocals you know he's you really tell he's working for it and on later albums he's a little more laid back with his vocals yeah i mean this first song is a pretty good example of what happens with them it, it's poppy you know it's mm -hmm. really poppy but it's got a great groove the rhythm section is pretty damn good on this album and this one's got again a really killer guitar solo it's tasteful you know it fits the song it doesn't go crazy like some of the other stuff does but it's a decent song i give that one around to see cherokee is the second track i think that one's pretty cool too it's it's poppy catchy but it's got this great guitar tone but it's got like funny swooshing sound effects in it and stuff mm -hmm. with this of course ripping guitar solo but then it's so poppy that sometimes like, it's like, is this a Hanson song with guitars? <laughs> Pre-Hanson. Pre-Hanson. Some of it, it's weird how this is, like, but and it's the same like this on all the albums, though, where it's like, there's two different bands here in the mm -hmm. same band. So the first two songs are kind of poppy, but then the third song is the title track, and now we're talking, because this is a heavy song. It's got this heavy-ass intro that slides into this just solid bass groove and another thing I like about this band is the background vocals. Like, throughout mm -hmm. all the albums, their singing is 
great because you got Mike Tramp up front, but you got the other guys singing, and it's like they're all good singers. Yeah. And they can really, you know, their backing vocals really add a lot to it, which come Pride and Michael Wagner, that's going to be exploded. Right. But the song Fight for Survive is it's like a storyteller song. It's kind of D&D style with the swords and the shields. And I love the way the guitar kicks in so strong for the choruses. And, well, yeah, you know, outstanding guitar solo. <laughs> right. This one kind of like builds into explosion. That one, that song's fantastic. pick a best and worst i guess okay. i don't know i mean there's a few here that are really good no. one thing that stands out to me on this album is there's a lot of blue oyster cult flavor on this hmm. there's a lot of like deet, 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 with the keyboards kind of stuff going on like i said with that other song with the swooshing in it i mean i think right. clearly vito brada has got to be a buck dharma guy because this Maybe. album this album to me just screams Blue Oyster Cult with the way the keyboards are used, with the way he's playing guitar. I mean, there's so much on here that's, I mean, not every song, but a lot of it has got that BOC flavor to it. Yeah. I could see that way. Like even the song Broken Heart alone, the chord structure sounds like a BOC song. I never really thought of it that way. I mean, in the city, I think, especially. It's yeah, got that, that one does too. Uh, All the Fallen Men is another heavy mm-hmm. rocker I really like on here. This one's kind of got like a little Dio flavor to it. It's got a great chorus. I love the riffs, the strong hooks. Mike Tramp's got the powerful vocals in it. You can really tell he pushes hard on that song. Mm-hmm. It's got an amazing breakdown before the guitar solo, and then Vito rips into this blistering thing. would be an awesome Memorial Day song. Yeah. I would go with that one, except there's one song on here I think I like better. And it starts as a showcase for the playing of Senor Brata. It's so cool the way he hops back and forth between the flamenco and like the flaming metal guitar. Talk about a song called El Salvador. Mm -hmm. And again, I'm I'm hearing the Blue Oyster Cult influence all over on this album. Listen to the chanting background vocals on this song and tell me it doesn't remind you of Blue Oyster Cult. Yeah, he stands at the 
it's just a killer track on a vastly overlooked album. I would say between El Salvador, I mean, All Burn in Hell is a great song. All the Fallen Men is really killer. And I love the title track. For worst, yeah. I don't know. I guess I could cheat and say Road to Valhalla because it's just kind of a weird song that ends the album. But I guess worse, I'm going to go Where Do We Run? I think the keyboards are a little too much on that one. Okay. All right. Well, so for me, uh, I didn't pick up on the BOC thing, but now that I'm thinking about it, listening back in my head, I'm like, yeah, I can hear that. Um, for me, I, it, it's a strong album from top to bottom. I hear a Van Halen influence in a lot of this stuff. Um, yeah. And more than just Vito's lead playing, but like, like the title track, sound, it, it screams Little Dreamer to me. It, I, I hear a lot of that on that song. Um, and I can see why Vito wouldn't be thrilled with his guide tracks being used, but I think it's still stellar guitar playing. Uh, I don't think Peter Hoke's production does any favors for this record. Certainly, I think Michael Wagner definitely gave them a quantum leap in production oh, yeah. um, after this record. Um, but I do think if this had more promotional push, like you said, I think it could have been much bigger, and I think it would have had some real legs to it. Um, I also hear, like, on All the Fallen Men and All Burn in Hell, I hear Judas Priest yeah. in the influence of, of those songs. Um, for me, I'm going to agree with you on El Salvador being the best song on the record. It, it, it is a little long, but it, it's such a great showcase for Vito's playing. and turns in it i will do the cheat and i will say the worst is definitely road to valhalla i think it was just a filler track that they threw on at the end to, to round out the record but it's not that bad i don't really skip anything on this i mean I, every time i've listened through it i'm like i like everything so i don't really ha i don't hate anything on this record yeah i kind of wish mike wagner could have produced this one too i think the oh, production does hurt it and i mean sonically out of the three albums this one's the worst but as far as just like i don't know man this band is weird because there's such a clash between metal and pop all yeah. the time you know and it gets worse from here i mean this is the most metal of their albums for sure but they do have yeah. heavy songs mixed in throughout the rest of the catalog but this one's most through and through hard rock and and out of the four of them production aside i think this one's my favorite i think this one's the truest to what they set out to do yeah and now i do think the next two are better than this record overall when you add production in but 
But you also, as we're going to go through these, you're going to see a band start going through an identity crisis. Yeah. And as we as we get towards the end of the end of their short run, you're going to see where times are changing and they sound like they're flailing to keep up. That's another thing about White Lion too. As we go through the albums, there's like, like I say, okay, that's the Blue Oyster Cult album, and the next one is more like this band. And the third one, you get a lot from that band. So they're really drawn on their influences. But each album seems like it's like, okay, I want to do more Van Halen type stuff on this album than we did <laughs> oh, the yeah. last one. You know, So there's going to be moments like that as we go. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, great songs on the first album. I highly recommend it. I think everybody should check it out because you're going to like at least three or four of the songs at the least. Yeah. That's a very overlooked record. All right. So they're huge in Japan now. Everybody's talking about them. People in the States are starting to take notice now at this point. Yeah. So then we go into June of 1987, and that's when Pride comes out, produced by, as we mentioned, Michael Wagner. Peaks at number 11 on the Billboard charts, stays on the charts for over a year, which is pretty impressive. So popular. This is the album I came in to them on. Um, I remember Wait was a, a brand new single. The weird thing is, is the album got released. Wait got released as a single, didn't do anything on the radio. And then months later, that's when the video comes out. And then all of a sudden it just explodes. So it just, it does, it's another testament to the power of MTV at that time. God, oh, the, sure. the video, the video put them over the top. And, uh, and then of course, when the children cry comes out and it just becomes a massive hit, um, but some interesting little things. Uh, when they were recording the drums, Vito played the solo on the song Wait as a backing track. And then, but Michael was so pleased with what he heard, he just kept it. So that's a one-take solo on Wait, which is yeah. it's an incredible solo. And uh, Michael has mentioned in interviews, probably including with us, that he got goosebumps when he heard Vito play that solo. Fender Strat that once belonged to Jimi Hendrix to record another solo on the record. I'm not sure which song it is, but I should ask Michael about that. Um, yeah, Wait was a song that changed everything for him, but I mean, as much as you got, I've heard that song enough, you know, it's it's mm-hmm. everywhere. It was especially back when it was new, it was everywhere. Yes. But if you think well, about it's, it, it's a well-written song. It's catchy as hell correct to be chosen as the single that they gambled that everyone's going to love this and if you buy a best of the 80s compilation it's whatever (laughs) it's on there so it's not my favorite song but i mean no denying the appeal of it yeah no it's it's it and it it's perfect for 1987 it it just fits right in and um they would also go on to tour behind this record opening up for fraley's comet on their first tour so that's a interesting pairing and they did play here in nashville at the cannery ballroom opening phrase yeah i've seen um flyers from it i was a little too young to go to shows at the time but yeah i do i do know that that happened so many great songs on this one there's not a skippable track on this album in my opinion i think the album is solid from start to finish 
It is definitely of its time when you listen to it in hindsight. It does scream 1987 when you listen to it. Um, I do think some of the lyrics are very fluff, um, but then there's others that are deeper. And that's kind of something the band would struggle with over the years where you'd have some songs where it's kind of typical meathead, metalhead party songs and then other stuff where it's like let's talk about serious issues so it's a little confusing you go from one song talking about please baby come back to me (laughs) into the next song that's all about you know death and war or child abuse or something like that and then it's right back to baby i love you yeah so they there was a little bit of a like an identity crisis within the band as far as the direction goes which that's fine um it's interesting to listen to in, in hindsight Vito is 100% the star of this record. Um, his playing is flawless. Uh, reminds me of Eddie Van Halen, of course, in his playing, but also something he would do that Eddie would do that not a lot of guitar players could pull off was he would do these little flashy flourishes like in between verses and stuff. And there was other bands that would try to do this, and then it would be like, all right, quit jerking off on the guitar. You're derailing from the song. But the way Vito would do it, just like Eddie, it would almost add something to the song but not take anything away from it which very hard to do but he was able to pull that off especially on this record it was hard for me to pick a favorite on this one but i'm gonna go with lady of the valley because the uh the songwriting chops on this song are great and uh it just it go it takes you on a journey If I have to pick a worst, and this is funny for me because I'm going to pick the song Tell Me as the worst, which is weird because when this album came out, this was one of my favorite songs on the record as a 12, 13-year-old kid. But listening to it in hindsight, I'm like, that's ah, kind of a fluffy, cheesy 80s pop song. I still don't skip it, and I think it's good, but it's it it hasn't aged as well as the other songs have. Yeah. Those are two fantastic, amazing picks because I'm going to go the same way as you, I think. I mean, listening to this album, when you first put it on, the album kicks off with this just hook that grabs you right off the bat in this song, Hungry. And it only takes up to the chorus in that first song to go, oh, yeah, this is a Michael Wagner production. You know, listen to them big time gang vocals going on. (laughs) So he took the strength that this band had of you know, having a great lead singer and great background singers and just exploded it as we know Michael Wagner loves to do. And he finds a way to always make it work. 
I mean, let's see. If I looked at the first album and I gave a D to the final song, four A's, and the rest were all C's with a B, I got one A on this album. Really? And that is Lady of the Valley. Uh, the song is killer. It's got that Dio element to it that I liked on the first album. Very Dio. Kind of starts out mellow, but then it's got like this slow burn that builds up to the chorus. I mean, the guitar playing on this song, shock, and especially the guitar solos. So like for the first album, I said, hey, I hear a lot of BOC. Like if you said, that's the BOC album. This mm-hmm. to me, it's almost like if you went a decade earlier, and said, what would happen if Richie Blackmore was a member of Angel? <laughs> That's what this reminds me of, because even what you were saying about the guitar playing, that kind of reminds me of some Richie Blackmore stuff there, too. Yeah. And I hear that, especially in a song like Lady of the Valley. That's a freaking rainbow song. It does sound like a rainbow song. It could totally be an amazing rainbow song. And it's like, okay, these guys are doing it, and it's White Lion, but... There's some Blackmore love from Vito Brada. And then I watch a video of them playing live, and it's like the other guys are all in their bright, you know, neon spandex <laughs> and stuff. And there's Vito over there, and he's dressed in black. And I go, okay, that's the Richie Blackmore connection in all this. You know, that makes perfect sense because yeah. I hear that all over this album, a lot of playing like that. But, I mean, he's his own player. But you can tell the stuff that he loves. Like, talked about Buck Darm on the last album. Talked about Richie Blackmore more on this album with some Van Halen mixed into it, plus his own flavor to it. I mean, there's some great stuff on here. All You Need Is Rock and Roll is a pretty cool song. It starts out kind of like an outlaw country song. You can tell by listening to the beginning of that song how much fun those guys are having in the studio with Michael Wagner. It's your destiny. It sets you free. So, and I know you don't want to hear this, but I mean, vocal melody wise from Mike Tramp's side of things, I, I pick up a total Bon Jovi vibe. Yeah. I, mean, I yeah. think, I think John Bon Jovi was a big influence on him. Yeah, I'm sure. When you look at, you know, what's, who's making the money right now, yeah. it's Bon Jovi. How do we get some of that money? We write songs yeah. like Tell Me. Tell Me could have totally been a Bon Jovi single. Which is also my least favorite song on the album. Is it really? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's not, it's just, it's too poppy. So tell me, baby, stuff is like like i said if you got the angel which is like total pop rock you got richie blackmore that does stuff like you know deep purple and and rainbow and you mix that together you get a lot of that clash on these albums where it's like man was Vito really a good fit for white lion 
Or was the rest of the band just lucky to have Vito there? Well, then there's listening back to these records. I'm I'm of the same mind where it's kind. Of, I mean, no disrespect to James Lomenzo, Greg D'Angelo, Mike Tramp, but I mean, come on, Vito was light years away from everyone else in this band. Yeah, and it almost seems like in conflict. I don't know. I'd be curious to know like what it was like when it came to writing songs because the majority of the songs through the through the category of of uh years that these guys have been doing stuff the majority the writing credit is tramp and brada yeah with the other guys here and there on songs you know contributing mm-hmm. stuff so what is what is that like you know vito's like you know and mike tramp goes god you know but i gotta sing pretty how am i gonna sing pretty to that you know <laughs> I'll try this. No, that's not going to work either. You know, it's like, was it difficult for these guys in the studio? Because it almost seems to me like Mike Tramp should be in one band and Vito Brada should be in a different band. And, and, and yeah, because I know some Chad Hill in particular is going to get mad at me, but like, I'm not disrespecting the rest of the band. I'm just, Vito was one of those one in a million talents. And I mean, like Michael Wagner himself said, you know, and Michael's worked with everybody. So the fact that Vito is just, he's, I hate to pick favorites, but he's up here and the rest of the guys are down here. But that doesn't mean that there wasn't good output. And we're right. mentioning the good, the good stuff here too. Oh, yeah. I love the, I love these records. I even love main attraction, which, although I'm going to point out its faults, but they, there was some great output from this band, but Vito was an otherworldly talent. And, um, these albums do nothing but showcase that. Makes me wonder what like a thrash metal band would have been like. Like, what if Vito Brada had joined Megadeth? Oh my God! Yeah, it's it's mind blowing to think about. I want to give another special mention to a song off this album that I like that would probably come in second place, and it's called "All Join Our Hands." I mean, this is what Michael Wagner does right here. It's a super anthem. This song's got his DNA all over it. And it reminds me of like an early accept song. song is so michael wagner he's like hey, let me show you how to do this you know just like some old school except well, yeah it sounds like 300 different people in the studio doing the gang vocals. yeah yeah it's pretty cool um, man i like that i'm amazed you didn't pick when the children cry as your worst i mean it's one of the most well-known and revered power ballads of all time uh, well, and it's actually and it's not just a sappy song it's actually about like a real issue right yeah <laughs> you know? And I mean the guitar, the acoustic guitar—it's intricate and layered and beautiful. And I mean, there's a reason why so many people love that song and why so many people—that's the song that exploded White Lion into superstardom with. I mean, if if we're gonna have like a battle of the power ballads, I gotta think that When the Children Cry would do pretty good compared to most of the other power ballads from that era that I really don't care for. Yeah. Like you said, it's got a little more serious matter to it, and 
I mean, there's no denying that guitar playing in that song. If I never heard it again, I'd be okay. But if it comes on yeah. next, I'd be okay too. Well, I mean, to interject a little of my own personal story into this, my first electric guitar that my parents bought me, it was from the J.C. Penney catalog. It was called a Sensonics guitar, but it was a Steinberger knockoff. You know, the headless guitars yeah. from back in the day. Well, it, but Vito was playing Steinbergers at the time. Yeah. And that's why I wanted the guitar. Uh, <laughs> I wanted to be Vito Brada. Yeah. And uh, well, good luck with that. <laughs> well, I did learn how to play this solo. It took a lot of practice, but I eventually got it down. Not nice. as good as Vito, but I could play all the notes. But um, but yeah, the, the, like that's the Pride album kind of takes me back to my my very beginning days playing the electric guitar because of that. He was like a guitar hero. It was him, C.C. Deville, and then. Ace Fraley came in right around the same time. Yeah. That's pretty cool, man. Like, the ladies are going to love me if I can learn how to play this solo. No, uh, they didn't. <laughs> <laughs> You're no Vito Brada, my friend. I was no Vito Brada. Yeah. So, pretty good album, you know? Yeah. This is the one that makes them superstars. It's not terrible. Uh, nothing lower on here than a C for me, but one, two, three, four, five C's. Rest are B's and one A, ladies of the Lady of the Valley. That's how I rank that one. Okay. So then, nineteen eighty nine comes along, and they put out Big Game in August of that year. Michael Wagner's back on board to produce. That peaks at number nineteen on Billboard, which is pretty respectable. Um, definitely a more eclectic record than Pride. Um, yeah. It almost makes they. It almost makes me think they could see that the tides were about to shift, and. Um, a lot more serious subject matter on this record, including songs that touch on topics like politics and religion. Um, it's a different record for them, um, but it's still a good one. Uh, for best, I thought I would be picking Little Fighter because I love that song. But And I still, to this day, I thought that would be the slam dunk pick for me when I we came up with the idea of doing this episode. But... I revisited the record over the last week, and it's caused me to lean towards If My Mind Is Evil. Yes. turn for the band because it's, it's like a it's a very dark subject matter that they're going into but musically this song just fucking kills and, and it's almost ahead of its time it sounds like something you would have heard in the 90s 
And then for worst, I'm going to go with Dirty Woman. Um, a lot of people pick this as one of their favorites, but I've listened to it over and over again. It just doesn't do anything for me. Well, you're 100% right about If My Mind Is Evil. That may be the best White Lion song, period. It's pretty great. And it's way different than anything else they've done up to this point, for sure. Yeah. It's heavy as hell. I mean, that that's what really got me thinking about, you know, what would it have been like if Vito Brada had been in Megadeth or Anthrax or, you know, even Metallica or somebody like that? He could have kept up, you know. He would have been amazing at that, too. And it almost makes me feel like on some of these songs that Vito's kind of held back, like, I need to rip loose on this guitar, but I can't because these guys want to make money, and so I, we got to have hits. Yeah. It's a weird album, man. It is weird. I got one A on it, which is If My Mind Is Evil. I got one, two, three, four Cs, one, two, three Bs. This one's got a D on it. One song I think is pretty bad. What's that? Well, I'll say this, that, you know, we looked at each one of these albums like, okay, where's the influence coming from? Because these guys wear it on their sleeve. This album is very Van Halen inspired. But not just Van Halen. There's some Van Hagar inspired stuff, too. Again, they're looking around in 89 going, who's making money playing rock music? Yeah. It's Sammy Hagar and Van Halen. They're making money right now. Yeah. Baby Be Mine, that could have been a Van Hagar song. Yes, it could have. Then there's other stuff in here that you like uh let's get crazy he's doing that bluesy ripping intro into like a metal kick in and it's that's hot for teacher part too yeah it's totally classic <laughs> van halen style it's fun and it's a song that cooks but yeah. the, the guitar is right out of the evh handbook oh it's totally no doubt about well, it i i love the uh i love the radar love cover I do too. Actually, I gave Radar Love an A also because just be, it's a real, it's a great. The original is a great song, but this sure. song, the cover is really good. Yeah. Um. Let's see. There was another one on here that was. I mean, the first song coming in is weird. Going home well, tonight. I, you don't like kinda, going home tonight? I think that one was one of my favorites. Actually, it's yacht metal. No, <laughs> well, I like yacht rock, so I can't. Yeah, because so, it's a it's a weird <laughs> blend of. Sounds like one second they're kind of singing like a Jimmy Buffett song, and then the yeah. guitars kick in. It's, but it's got uh, this super catchy chorus, but it's got weird twangy guitar. It, it, it's Melon Camp metal. <laughs> yeah, strange thing to kick the album off with. It is a weird song to open with. And then Dirty Woman. I mean, it's okay. The guitar playing on it's fucking awesome, but it's just a basic Sunset Strip style Dirty it's Woman a throwaway song. song. Yeah. It do- doesn't go anywhere. Even Little Fighters got the Van Halen style intro to it.
God, I, I love that song. I, I thought for sure that that was going to be my pick for best because I, I, it's one of my favorite songs of theirs. But then I go through listening to it, and I'm like, I get to If My Mind Is Evil, I'm like, where was this song? I forgot all about this. That song and is it, it, freaking amazing. It's one of their best songs. So let me just pause here for a minute for the listener. If you're listening to this and you are only listening to this because you like me and Chris and you like to hear us talk about bands and music, but you don't give a damn about White Lion, if there's one song by this band that you really owe it to yourself to check out, it's If My Mind Is Evil. It's fucking awesome. Yep. It's easily my favorite song I've heard so far by this band as we're going through this. Hmm. And then the album ends with uh, Cry for Freedom, which, again, you know, this is a strange band. They're all over the place. They got sappy ballads to ripping metal songs to heavy AOR to heavy blues to songs with a country tinge. And then you got this proggy song that's <laughs> actually epic and cool, you know, and it's Cry cool. for Freedom is pretty good. Worst song in here for me is Don't Say It's Over. It's just a super syrupy, poppy breakup ballad. Yeah. Who made money last year? Poison did. Well, how'd they do it? They had this super syrupy, poppy ballad breakup song. We can do that. Yeah, this is, and this is kind of one of those prime examples of bands that kind of go middle of the road and try to play the game to a point but still stay true to themselves. Yeah. Where that's a disastrous idea. Yeah. Where it's like either be the weird you that you are or. 100% try to play the game and and have a hit. And I think they were trying to kind of live in both worlds. And I'm not dogging them for it because that was like the biggest money-making time for this type of music. So yeah. I get I get where they were coming from, but it also makes for confusing records and we're really going to get confusing on the next one. Which at this time White Lion is doing damn damn good for themselves, but they're not sure. at the Bon Jovi no. Def Leppard van hagar money level no they weren't playing stadiums but they're doing better than most of the bands out there sure yeah i mean at one point they're opening for fraley's comet i gotta imagine if you looked at fraley's comet's record sales versus white lions you know white lion blew them out of the water oh yeah especially with pride i mean that's yeah yeah i mean they they were hitting top 40 on a regular basis and they even with this record they were too so yeah. like they they did start to blow up. It just didn't, they didn't quite get over the hump. And it's funny, when I went into this album too, I was like, ah, oh, Little Fighter. Yeah, I remember that song. God, heard that a million times. and But I haven't heard it in forever. And then hear it and go, you know what? It's a great song. That is a pretty good song. You know, it's got some, the guitar solo in it. It's amazing. Alone, oh my God. You know? And it's catchy thing. and it's one of the, it gets stuck in your head for sure. Well, the thing is, I never knew the subject matter of the song until I read up about it. So it's about a Greenpeace ship that was like purposely sabotaged by like the French military or something crazy. And it's a political song. But the way I always listened to it, I thought I viewed it as a song that kind of fights for the underdog. Yeah, you know? kind of like a little dreamer kind of thing. Yeah, like Shine Again, Little Fighter, Let Them All Know the Reason. Why. I always viewed it as a motivational song right. more than anything else. But even knowing the story, that's kind of cool, but I, I'm still going to view it as like an underdog song. But um, but musically, just incredible. This band is crazy. Like, how do you go from, you know, one song we're going to sing about child abuse, and then we're going to sing about how we want our girlfriend back, and then we're going to sing about the, the rigors of war, 
And then right. we're going to sing about how my heart is broken. And then we're going to sing about, you know, this ship that was, but it's going to sound like our hearts are broken or what, you know, and you yeah. can't even keep track of it no more. It's like Michael Wagner goes, all right, guys, there's a lot of heavy stuff going on in the world. There's also groupies and there's a lot of other stuff going on. What do you guys want to cover? And they go, yes. Yeah, all of it. <laughs> yes, please. Yeah, all of it. Uh, but yeah, the, it makes them a strange band because most of the quote unquote hair metal bands of the time is about fucking groupies. That was pretty much it. Yeah. This band's so deep, they're singing deep songs you can't even tell. So you ready to go into 1991? Yep, this is the last one, isn't it? Yeah, so kind of the last one of their classic era. We're not going to cover the Frontiers album they came out with years and years later because it's not the same lineup. And Anyway, we just want to cover kind of the classic four records of this band. But April 1991, Main Attraction comes out. Main spelled M-A-N-E. Get it? See what they did there? Yeah, yeah, I like that. Um, produced by Richie Zito, uh, did not bring Michael Wagner back for this one. And I think there's a reason for that. Um, well, I think the results show that it's not as well produced. I, Richie's, I never, I didn't like what Richie did with rad either. Um, Richie does good with pop artists, not uh, rock artists. Yeah. He did go with cheap trick. I think uh, I'm not even a big fan of that one either, yeah. but, um, I just don't like the sound. I like his drum sound. That's pretty much it. Um, Peaks at number 61 on the charts. Does Never goes gold, uh, which you can tell times are changing. There are good songs on this record, but they are surrounded. And this is funny coming from me because I'm the ballad guy. There's way too many ballads on this record. Way too many. It's ballad overkill. Yes. And, and they aren't really bad ballads. They're decently written songs, but there's just way too fucking many of them. And by the time you get halfway through the record... At least if you're like me, you just go, you decide, I'm just going to focus on Vito's playing and enjoy it. Um, because the songs just aren't quite there on this one. Um, to me, if I have to pick a bet, I, I think the album opens with the strongest song. That's Lights and Thunder. and Because uh, it's got kind of like a Zeppelin Achilles Last Stand vibe yeah, to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I think is great. Um, and it's a long song, but like, they, they do a lot of cool, interesting things in it. Yeah.
Bush for me is hard to choose because there's a number of contenders for that one. Um, I'm going to go with Leave Me Alone. I didn't pick a ballot. I'm going to go with Leave Me Alone for one reason. I want to hear White Lion do a funk song about as much as I'd love to hear the Chili Peppers do a power ballad. Really? Yeah. What I got off that song was that it's it reminds me of a rat song. It sounds like them trying to ape the Chili Peppers to me. I don't think so. It's got a killer riff. I mean, it's pretty heavy by White Lion standards. It's kind of a veto show-off song, but it's got great bass and drums and cool timing changes. But I think the song itself reminds me of like a classic rat song. Listen to it again one time. I'm telling you. I'll, I'll try, but like the, the playing is not the issue. I think it's executed fine. I just don't think it's a good song. I think there's riffs in between the little funky riff parts that are good. But like the funk riff part, I'm like, I don't want to hear White Lion do this type of song. It just doesn't yeah. work. But man, there's <laughs> there's way worse songs than that on this album. No, there's bad ones. Don't get me wrong. There's there's a it's just a, it's a weird mishmash of stuff on this record. I, I, it's almost like they were like, we've got twelve songs. Which do we cut? And then they go, we don't want to cut any of them. Right. I don't need to hear Love Don't Come Easy. You're all there's like three fucking ballads in a row on this thing. Yeah. And it's like, why were you guys doing that? And then Out With The Boys could have been a good song, but it's just god-awful with the lyrics. But I don't know. I just Blue Monday's okay because it's an instrumental. But And, you know, Vito wrote that in honor of Stevie Ray Vaughan, who died while they were in the studio recording right. it. So that's cool. But there's just, there are good songs, but, like, they're surrounded with a lot of garbage. All right, so I gave three songs on this album A's. Lights and Thunder right off the bat is an a what a great song but how unwhite lion like to have yeah. a nine minute epic rocker let alone kick off your album with that nine minute epic rocker yeah but the song it's heavy and it's trippy at the same time it's weird but it's cool i mm. like it a lot lights and thunder got an a from me um, Broken Heart, it's just a revamped version of the song off Fight for Survive. It's Yeah, and I like that song. It's way slicker than the original. Yeah. Mike Tramp doesn't sing as hard on this one as he did on, did on the original one. And the production is so much better on this version, but is it? I don't know. I kind of like it raw. It doesn't have the attitude the original had. Yeah. Leave Me Alone, like I said, sounds like a rat song to me. And then you got, like you said, you got... Love Don't Come Easy, which is them just trying to recapture some of that weight money. Yeah. It's just kind of like part two of that. And then right after that, you got You're All I Need, which is, I mean, back-to-back -back ballads. And this is the worst White Lion song up to this point through all the albums. I don't like it either. It's just cliche. And then you get It's Over. Now, this is a triple shot of ballads. Where you're, this is a wimpy breakup <laughs> song. It's not as bad as the first two. And it kind of reminds me of like a Coverdale Hughes era Deep Purple song because it's got kind of the John yeah. Lord keyboards in it a little bit. It's not quite as bad, but we're talking like three ballads in a row. And then finally, if you can get through all that, there's one called War Song, which is an upbeat jam and tune. Um, I mean, White Lion's pretty good at their protest songs at this point. Ripping yeah. solo by Vito in it. Yeah, again, this guy, he could have been in a thrash metal band. This song is another good example of that. There's a cool way the song changes. So it, it starts off talking about, you know, it's upbeat and everything. It's all about I'm signed up and I'm going to go fight and 
mom, mom and sister say, we love you, be careful. And dad says, I'm proud of you, son. And then like, it's all this upbeat, do, 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 do. And then it changes when it gets to the part where dude comes home from war. And the whole feel of the song changes. It's like an emotional thing. They actually can make you change emotions while the course of this song progresses because you're listening to it at first, you're like, cool, rocking, rocking, rocking. And then you're listening to the words going, oh man, that's some heavy stuff. And then, you know, he goes to war, he comes home, and everything's different, including the song. It's yeah. insane. The drums on this song are fucking awesome, man. There's an explosion outro of this powerful drum attack. song is a song called She's Got Everything, which I love that Vito's going to show a little Ace Fraley love with that uh, at the beginning of the song. I noticed that yeah, too. Yeah, <laughs> with he's doing the thing like he, like Ace does with the left. With the, uh, the kill switch. So cool. I was like, yeah, that's some Ace Fraley shit right there. Gotta love that. Yeah. And then rocking the Joe Walsh harmonica harp at the end, the guitar harp thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. That song also gets an A. And then the song after that, my notes say, you're fucking killing me. Yeah, with the ballads. <laughs> it's like you go through three ballads and you think, okay, this sucks. I, I'm about done with this album. Then War Song comes on. You go, okay, fucking cool. And then She's Got Everything. I'm like, mm, this is great. And then the, it's like a wedding song. Yeah, it is a wedding song. <laughs> like I, if, if you're out there listening to this right now and that was your wedding song, I'm sorry. <laughs> 
<laughs> At least it wasn't Peter Chris. I finally found my way. Yeah, he beat me to the jail. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> when I heard that, because that's the first time I ever heard it, was when, we were, when I did this deep dive on it. And my first thought was, this fucking sucks. My second thought was, I wonder if that night when I played that Peter Chris song, if I had known about this song and played it instead, would it have made any difference? Probably not. Probably not. And that's the worst thing on this album. It gets an F. It's the worst thing they've done. But I probably I probably should change my vote and vote for that one yeah, instead. <laughs> it sucks, man. It's pretty bad. But it's just them going, you know what? A lot of times bands write a wedding song and it becomes this generational thing that people remember forever. Mm. Yeah, Firehouse made it work. Oh, with the boys, you know, by this point, I'm kind of bummed out with this album and I'm not really into it no more. I mean, it's not great. It's got a great guitar solo, but it's not great. Blue Monday, a lot of respect shown from one guitar legend to another, talking about Stevie Ray Vaughan. And then the biggest trip on this album is the last song, Farewell to You. They knew that this was the end, I think. Makes you wonder, doesn't it? It really does make me wonder again. But this is, the song ain't great. No. It's kind of like what country music would become. Like, why hasn't, like, Luke Bryan or somebody covered this? This would be a perfect country song nowadays. Yeah. It's not terrible. It's not great. It could be made into a big money country song, I think. It's pretty introspective about the state of the music industry and White Lion's place in it, which after this album, there is none. No. They could have cut three songs off of this and made it a nine-song record, and it would have been fine. Yeah, there's, but like I said, there's three songs on here that are outstanding. Yeah, and hard to hard to argue with "Lights and Thunder." Yeah, that's great. But I think just to be different from you for the hell of it, I'm gonna go with "She's Got Everything." I like that okay. one the best, or "War Song." Either one. War song's interesting because it's kind of ahead of its time. It's like it, yeah. it, he's throwing in drop D tuning, which was not very commonly used at that time. No. So I guess overall, if I'm looking at White Lion, and I went into this with pretty much a blank slate except for the handful of tunes that I knew that everybody knows. Yeah. And I went to deep dive in this, and I think what I found is that White Lion is a contradiction within themselves they're always trying to be three or four different things at the same time yes the one thing that holds it all together is there's a couple of things one their strengths are number one Vito Brada yes you know one of the most amazing guitar players you'll ever hear I mean when somebody's talking about having that discussion about who are the greatest guitar players of all time? You know, you're going to have your top guys that everybody always mentions. But for the music that are on these four albums and the showcase of Vito Brada's playing on it, this guy truly is one of the best guitar players ever to fucking do it. I'm, I'm telling you, dude, he never gets brought up in conversation, but I will put him up there with Rhodes and Eddie Van Halen any day. Yeah, talking about ability and style and uniqueness. Yeah, definitely. They've got a great rhythm section. I love the background vocals. I think to make it truly in a rock band, no matter what era you're trying to do it in, 
your lead vocalist has to be unique. Yeah. He doesn't necessarily have to be the most, you know, operatic singer or Pavarotti or whatever, you know, it doesn't have to be that, but you have to be unique. You know, you can't sound like anybody else. You got to be able to hear that voice and go, that's White Lion. They got that with Mike yeah. Tramp, you know? So there's a lot of strengths. You know, I think, again, I think some of their strengths might also be their weaknesses, you know, where it's like, you're so good, but outside of the first album, I don't really hear, like, what would you say is like the quintessential White Lion song? Or is it something that they said, this worked for somebody else, let's try that, and they did it a little better? Or so, they weren't able to nail it, you know? So gun to your head, if you had to pick one record of these four, you're picking Fight to Survive? If they came to me and say, hey, we're taking away your White Lion CDs, but we'll let you keep one. Yeah, I'd keep Fight to Survive. Yeah, for sure. I like Fight to Survive, but I would keep Pride. Yeah? Yeah. It, it's one of those two. Because I... And like a big game has good stuff, but they started getting weird and experimental. And then main attraction, I think they were lost and they didn't have, there's good stuff there, but they totally didn't know where they were going. I'd keep fight to survive, but I sure would miss the song. If my mind is evil, because if I got to pick like my yeah. favorite song, that out of all these, it, huh? I think that's it. I think that's the one, the most weirdest white lion, heavy metal song. I mean, go listen to it. The guitar solo is in freaking sane. I do think that song's ahead of its time. It sounds like a song you would have heard in the nineties, and yeah, and it was eighty nine. So I, I think they were ahead of their time on that. But uh, it's, it's been fun to go back and listen to these records. So uh, Chad Hill, thanks for pestering the fuck out of us, and uh, it's been <laughs> nice to go back and listen to these. Yeah, I got a whole new respect for this band. You know, before I just say, "Eh, no, I'm not into them," or "Oh, that's for the chicks," right. but now I can actually say. Yeah, I'm a White Lion fan. There's a lot of songs that they wrote over the years that I really like. And if there were ever to be a reunion someday, like they say maybe possibly could happen, I'd be all for it. I would buy the new album, I'd go see them live, and I'd be excited about it. Well, yeah, speaking of that, um, I'll give a shout-out to a writer named Matt Wake I've become friends with over the last year on Facebook. Uh, he actually did do a full-length interview with Vito Brada in the past few months, and it's very interesting. Wow, cool. Yeah, put that link in. I'd like to check that out. I absolutely will. All right, so there you have it. Now what did we learn? White Lion's actually pretty awesome, or if you pester the Decibel Geek podcast <laughs> enough, you'll get what you want. We're not doing that ABBA episode. I don't care how many times you bug me. <laughs> Stay tuned next week for the best and worst of Nickelback. No. <laughs> All right, well, there you have it. This has been the Decibel Geek Podcast. Next time you'll hear from us will be for a new noise episode. And then we got a big one coming up. Episode 500. Wow. Can you believe it? I can't. See you next week. See ya. Ladies, we know what we want from our birth control. 
But what about what's in our birth control? That's why I chose the 100% hormone-free Paragard intrauterine copper contraceptive. It's the only birth control that uses just one simple active ingredient to prevent pregnancy over 99% of the time, with no hormones and no daily routines. Paragard is a small IUD that prevents pregnancy for up to 10 years using copper. Ready to get what you want? Talk to your healthcare provider to see if Paragard could be right for you. Don't use if you have a pelvic infection, including PID, get infections easily, certain cancers, Wilson's disease, or a copper allergy. Pregnancy is rare but can be life-threatening and cause infertility or loss of pregnancy. Paragard may attach to or go through the uterus. Tell your healthcare provider if you miss a period, have abdominal pain, or it comes out. At first, periods may become heavier and longer with spotting in between. It won't protect against HIV or STDs. For product information or to learn more, visit Paragard.com. This week on RVER, sponsored by Progressive Insurance. I'm sorry, I can't operate on that vehicle. But doctor, you took an oath. That RV, it's my son's RV. Oh, doctor, isn't there anything you can do? I'm not a miracle worker, Sheila. I'm an RV surgeon, trained to save the lives of large injured recreational vehicles, which is definitely a real profession. When your RV really needs saving, Progressive has you covered. See if you could save with a leader in RV insurance. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates covered subject to policy terms.